Good afternoon, everyone. Today is Sunday, February 9th. I'm your host, AJC, otherwise known as Adam Cohen. I am joined by my co-worker and baseball savant, Henry Winklehake. Today, we are going to be talking more about the recent news on the Astros' sign-stealing scandal, why the Dodgers' trades are not going through, if Pete Rose will be reinstated, and if the Mets will have a change of ownership anytime soon. Henry, we have a packed, interesting show today. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, Adam. Thanks for asking. I uh, had the pleasure of watching my beloved Kentucky Wildcats get a win over Tennessee yesterday. Uh, so that uh, now I'm ready to talk some baseball. The days keep ticking by. Spring training is right around the corner. Uh, we got pitchers and catchers reporting around the league. It's starting to feel real. Uh, so I'm, uh, we got a like you said, we got an action-packed show ahead of us today. Looking forward to diving in. How are you, Adam? I'm doing great. I'm glad to hear that your Wildcats did well yesterday. I actually once had a roommate who was a big, big Wildcats fan, so I'm sure he's very happy too. And you're right, everything's falling into place. Baseball season's right around the corner. Super Bowl ended. March Madness is happening, so it's a good time for sports right now. Absolutely. All right, so with that in mind, let's get into it. So first we're going to talk about the Astros' sign-stealing scandal. I know that we have talked about scandal for a lot of Exavio podcasts, but we have more news on it. And in fact, the scandal is quotely dubbed Codebreaker uh, by the Astros. And it all started with an intern by the name of Derek Vigoa who made an Excel-based document to decode the signs from other catchers. And this method was referred to as the dark art. So someone was a Harry Potter fan or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say so, Adam. Yeah, and it's it's pretty funny in general because this totally seems like what an intern would call it, like a dark art. It's probably like some nerdy intern right out of college, Harry Potter fan. It's like, hey, let's do this. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I feel like I should have known that Voldemort was behind this. (laughs) It's only the work of something evil, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and on this spreadsheet, someone would watch live feed. They would log catcher signs into the spreadsheet of each pitch thrown. And then an algorithm was used to find correlation between signs and pitches. And once this algorithm decoded the signs, players started to bang in the trash can. So additionally, not only did the Astros steal steal signs at homes, but they also stole signs on the road too. And I think a lot of the conversation when, when we've talked about the scandal thus far has been look at the, the home road splits and then trying to make a point one way or another. This is, this is big news, Adam, because this is you know, showing us that the scandal was bigger than a lot of us initially thought, that the, the going on the road and doing it as well, that's big news. Definitely. Everyone really thought that the Astros only did it home, which makes sense because they have all of their technology right there. And if someone's on the road, then you can be easily caught. But going into the Astros' 27-17 season, they went a whopping 53-28 and 28 on the road, which is tied for first in the league with the Indians. And at home, they still did very well, sits best in baseball. But it was very surprising. And another really interesting thing is that Manfred, in his report, described – the Astros scandal as very much player driven, but now seeing Derek Vigoa and seeing one how one when is that how we is that how you pronounce the name one how or one who? I believe it's Luno. Luno. Thank you, thank you. I know we were talking about that a little bit before, but I'll get it right from here on out. <laughs> hey, it's all right. He's fired now. We won't have to say it too much. <laughs> 
you're not wrong, you're not wrong. Uh, but another really interesting thing is that Tony Adams, who's an Astros fan and Twitter user, made this really extensive research about the Astros trash banging. He saw over 8,200 pitches, or the Astros saw over 8,200 pitches over the season, 1,100 times trash banging a turn for a whopping 11% of the time. So this is really interesting because that leads to the question, Henry, who is more responsible for the scandal, the front office, the players, maybe a combination of both? What do you think? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one without you know having the inside knowledge of, of being there and knowing that dynamic exactly. At least from, from my outsider's perspective, it certainly looks like there is blame to go around that I, you know, maybe this was a player-driven thing where the players had the idea, but certainly the coaching staff and the front office were aware of what was going on. I mean, if, if some Twitter user can go through and listen to all the 8,200 pitches that he, that he uh, took for a sample, then surely the guys in the dugout and, and, you know, in the front office, the team officials know that this is going on. And, you know, like A.J. Hinch has said that, you know, he was was aware of it, did try and stop it, didn't do enough, obviously. It's really tough for me to say. I mean, I'm inclined to kind of want to blame the players more as they came up with it and they've gotten off really pretty easy thus far. What do you think, Adam? It's certainly easy to blame the players. I mean, just giving you that statistic right before we headed it back to you, the players banged on the trash can 1,100 times, so they are very much at fault for what happened. But that being said, it seemed like it was originally not a player-driven idea. It seemed like it was a front office or an intern idea in that case. The front office let it slide or turn a blind eye to it, or maybe a couple few TV monitors broken by A.J. Hinch here and there. But it does seem easy to blame the players. Maybe they have slightly more blame for carrying it out, not stopping it. But the front office certainly has their skeletons in the closet too. Yeah, and I think that this isn't tremendously surprising when you look at the Astros over the last several years, kind of being at the forefront of the analytics movement and just trying to find every advantage possible that they could have, whether it be increasing the spin rate with their pitchers as they famously have revitalized the career of guys like Verlander and Garrett Cole to a lesser extent. He was younger, but, you know, look at how his career took off from from being in Houston. It really seems like uh, over the past several years, the Astros have gone right to the line of what is competitively acceptable. And in this case, they've obviously crossed that line. Yeah, the Astros were seen as this new wave of thinking, like almost like Moneyball number two with the whole spin rate shenanigans. But it was just more than spin rate, of course. It was banging on trash cans. And we know that the players, just going back to that topic, we know that the players received the steal from Major League Baseball where none of them, none of the current players, can't say the same for Beltron in that regard, but none of the current players will be suspended or banned or punished. But will we see more Astros front office personnel banned, suspended, or fired in the future? Um, I, I think maybe there could be a couple more dominoes left to fall, but I think it's largely resolved uh, for now. And, and from my perspective, as a fan of the game, I'm pretty happy with what the punishments have been from a front office coaching staff perspective uh, with the Astros. 
I would have liked to see maybe a little bit more of a punishment for the players, which I guess there really wasn't any punishment at all for the players other than that A.J. Hinch got fired, so they lose that dynamic in the locker room. But, you know, I think that's tough, too, because it was such a widespread thing, it seems, to what are you going to suspend the entire team or the Astros going to have to play with their AAA team up in the bigs this year? So it's tough. I think that, that the issue is largely largely resolved, though. That's definitely an interesting take because you do make a good point there. What kind of suspension would we see for the players? And there were so many of them involved. There's literally 20-plus players, and a good portion of them are still with the Astros. And you can't just say the Astros are not allowed in the playoffs this year, not allowed in the World Series, because that would just be very, very boring and awful for baseball. But on that note... It is very interesting to see how MLB will take this in the future because there's still a lot to uncover. When we get to the A.J. Hinch interview later, he says that the MLB investigators have not seen anything as of yet, which is scary. So MLB has done a really good job handing out suspensions and taking care of this whole matter, but they got to continue this investigation, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if we know everything at this point. I'm sure there's still some more information to come out. But I think it also, it's interesting to look and see what happens next time that the next team where players are stealing signs are, is there going to be more harsh punishments for players in the future to kind of stop this from happening? Because you could look now and you could say the players for the Astros really got off pretty easy. You keep your World Series, you didn't get suspended. You know, is there enough action here to disincentivize future players and teams from cheating? That is a very good question. I actually never really thought about that and what will happen again. You almost hope that this would be kind of the precedent where it's just so much negative press in the in Astros as a whole. We've definitely seen We'll definitely probably see a lot of players get thrown at during the season. Something will happen to fans. Fans will probably boo them left and right. But it is interesting because this could still happen in the future. And if the players getting off scot-free, well, who knows what will happen next time. So very, very interesting question. But let's move on to Jeff Loonhow, who has made some comments recently or has made some comments as a whole where he did not actively take part in the Astros investigation. But recently it came out that there's documentary and testimonial evidence against Loon Howe, And additionally, there is correspondence, especially specifically emails between Loon Howe and Houston's director of advanced information, Tom Cockweiser. And in these emails, there's evidence of the Astros system again, known as the Dark Arts. And it says that teams are onto the Astros and start frantically changing their signs. There's video evidence via Twitter by guys like John Boy. And additionally, there's mention of teams like the A's and Blue Jays who knew about the science dealings, but because, for at least the Blue Jays' sake, they were out of the playoffs. They didn't really care at that point. But there's evidence from John Boy where Gary Sanchez like changing signs 10 times throughout so it's really bizarre how much Moonhow is involved in this and how he is still denying it. So on that note, Henry, will we ever see a tell-all by Moonhow, and will we ever truly know the entirety of the information about the scandal? Yeah, I think everything that we've seen so far indicates that, that Luno is going to play that pretty close to his chest. He doesn't seem super eager to, to open up a tell-all at this point in time. 
maybe that changes uh, a couple years down the road when you know this really isn't at the the forefront of the news cycle or when he's not looking for another front office job. I think uh, for his career interests, it's probably best to to kind of keep his his lips sealed on that one, and you know maybe he gets another chance to to be a GM somewhere. But yeah, if we get to a point 10, 15 years down the line where it's it's obvious that he's done in baseball, then maybe you see a book deal or something. Because you know, I, I'd read the heck out of a all the details of the <laughs> Astros sign stealing scandal. I'd love to know all the all the skeletons in the closet there, but. That's not something that that I would anticipate happening very soon. Yeah, there definitely could be a 30 for 30 in the future if those are still around in 15, 20 years about Loon Howe and he has a tell-all and he's retired from baseball. But that's a very good point and a very different approach than what A.J. Hinch has done. A.J. Hinch has already had a decent amount of a tell-all with Tom Verducci recently and what, and sorry, Hinch has really taught, taken responsibility for this. He says he regrets his punishment. He's going to lay low for the entire year. He didn't tell everything, but he said that there's more to come with the whole Astros scandal. So do, is A.J. Hinch almost – can we almost forgive A.J. Hinch for this and maybe Loonhow not so much? I will say that A.J. Hinch has handled this great from a PR perspective. I think he's been just apologetic enough without kind of doing the tell-all, giving us all the nasty, dirty details that are going to make him look worse. And, you know, maybe when he's talking about how he tried to destroy the monitor, that seemed a little cheesy, a little bit like he could have done more if he really wanted to stop it. But I think Hinch's uh, response has been pretty pretty good as far as saving face, and I expect him to coach again in the majors. He's still... Obviously a talented manager who's, who's able to get a lot out of his unit, but this is definitely a stain on his career. It may take a while, but at least, you know, an opportunity to be a bench coach or something. A.J. Hinch isn't done in baseball, and I think he knows that, and that is a lot of, of what his response has been so far is looking ahead to his future options. This whole little PR stain really could have saved his career as a major league coach or even a front office personnel, and... It is very weird how he broke a TV monitor, but he couldn't hold a meeting for all his players about the signs. <laughs> that seems very hypocritical. Well, that's a pretty good point, Adam. And I think maybe that's just trying to, to make a show out of something he can point back to and say, see, look, I, I was really against this. I broke the monitor with you know trying to do just enough to, to kind of cover his tracks when Really, you know, we, we feel like there was a lot more that could have and should have been done to stop this. Definitely. We don't know if this is just a PR stint or him just being honest. We hope that he's being honest. We hope that he get, we can see him back in baseball one day and he can kind of be forgiven over time and just quiet down. It seemed pretty sincere from the interview, but let's move on to a whole nother mess that's been happening in baseball, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers trades. So, oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a whole wild topic, and it was it broke the baseball Twitter internet pretty much between the Dodgers, the Red Sox, and Twins. The Dodgers would have received, and they still can receive Mookie Betts, David Price, and fifty million in cash, which is about three years of Price's contract. Not right away, but over the three years, of course. The Twins would have received Kent to my eight, the Red Sox would have received. 
Red Star Gratterall and Alex Verdugo. But the stopper with this was the Red Sox were spooked by Gratterall's medical report. And Agent Stott Forres, who's the agent of Gratterall, of course, says that he was fined by the end of the season through 100-mile-per-hour sinkers. He's healthy. And the Red Sox not said any reason why they were spooked. And then the Red Sox additionally wanted another top 10 prospect from the Twins. The Twins balked. And now the Twins may not be a part of this three-team deal. So, Henry, how bad is this for all the players involved, all the teams involved, even the fans involved in this too? Yeah, this is pretty much bad for, for everybody involved. I think the Dodgers are, are the real losers in this situation and that you know they tipped their hand that they're looking to get Mookie. And now that's it's not looking so sure that it's going to happen. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. I do think ultimately that Betts will end up being in Los Angeles, but really it's not a great look for the Red Sox either. You, you know, you tip your hand that you're getting rid of this franchise player, so you have all the the outrage, all the backlash of your fans, and now it's kind of looking like maybe it's for nothing that maybe you know this deal stalled up based on uh, Gratterall's physical. What I think is really going on here is Boston heard all the backlash, knew that they lost this trade, that they could have got more, and then now they want to try and nitpick something on Gratterall's physical to where they can slow down this deal and try and get more. What do you think's going on here, Adam? I agree with you 100% on this. This, this physical could just be a major fib, and it's all the Red Sox doing. You first had the sign-stealing scandal against the Red Sox, which is still, the punishment is still yet to come. And now you have this, where they're just not sure about trading Mookie Ball, knee-deep into trade, which is bizarre. It's not the Twins' fault. It's not the Dodgers' fault. It's the Red Sox' fault. And they are, absolutely they just seem so greedy right now, too. Even if Gratterall is somewhat injured, he'll still be fine. And they view him more as a reliever than a starter. I mean, come on, they... He throws 100 mile per hour sinkers, and he was Grimm's a starter in the minor leagues, and he still can be a starter, he still can be a leader. That's your choice. It just seems a lot of BS, and you could be very well right. The Red Sox are having second thoughts about Mookie, but it'll just make it more awkward if Mookie stays on a team after this whole fiasco. Yeah, absolutely. They've made it clear that he's not part of their long term plan, and yeah, if I'm Mookie Betts, I don't want to be in Boston anymore. They they're trying to get rid of me, so. Go ahead, ship me off to the Dodgers. Let's get this deal done if I'm Mookie. What really doesn't make sense to me, Adam, is why are the Red Sox asking the Twins for another top 10 prospect so that the Dodgers can get Mookie? That well, The Twins are just, they're asking the Twins to just totally lose this deal outright. I mean, Kenta Maeda is a serviceable pitcher, but I mean, it sounds like Brewstar Gratterall has a really bright future, and that's probably a big enough price to pay to bring in Maeda. If anything, it sounds like the Red Sox should be asking for additional prospect capital from the Dodgers. Exactly. People were already not sure where to go with the Twins. They thought it was a decent deal. They understood it because Twins are in a win-now mode and they need pitching, but they were giving away some of their future. But it's very strange how the Twins or the Red Sox asked the Twins for this. And, of course, the Twins are going to balk at it. And unless the Red Sox say, all right, we're just going to go a original deal or give similar names, the Twins are out of this. So on that note, if there's a new third team on this, who would join? That's a really good question, Adam, because, I mean, I'd look for kind of a similar structure type deal where the Dodgers are sending off 
somebody like Kenta Maeda. And, you know, we saw the Ross Stripling and Jock Peterson deal, that one in limbo now, of course. If they're going to bring in David Price, it's likely that they are going to be looking to ship off a bullpen arm or two. So, you know, I'd look for another team that, kind of like the Twins, that needs an extra pitcher to to maybe take that next step. And, you know, there's a couple of teams out there. Uh, my mind goes to the Cubs as a Cubs fan, but I doubt that the Cubs have the prospect capital or the willingness to send over somebody from the farm system to get that done although they could use another arm in their starting rotation. What about you, Adam? Are any teams coming to mind for you? Well, first off, it does seem like it would be a very similar deal. The Red Sox and Dodgers are pretty much set with what they will give, and then now they just need this other team to kind of take on Tensumaito or a similar pitcher and give up a prospect. So with that in mind, Angels always come to mind since they can never have enough pitching, especially on that team. So they can maybe just be a three-team deal between them, and that make a lot of sense because the Dodgers are already in talks with them about another trade. So perhaps they could just mesh all of them together. The Yankees just lost James Pass, and I'm a little bit biased as a Yankee fan, but he's going to be out for three to four months. Someone as Maeda could be a long reliever or a spot starter for a little while. That could be helpful for them and give up some minor, pro- some decent prospects in the minors. So those are two teams to come to mind, but it's really up in the air at this point for a third team. Yeah, if I'm the Twins, I'm, I'm pretty much fed up with this at this point. There's no reason for us to give up an additional prospect. I mean, we'd love, you'd love to have Kenta Maeda as part of that rotation, but you're not the one getting Mookie Betts, so you don't really have the, the eagerness to get this done and to you know bend over to the demands of the Red Sox. So I'd say I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Twins were out, but I think that you know there's still going to be a, a big desire by the Red Sox and the Dodgers to get this Definitely. done. Definitely. The Red Sox can't not trade Mookie Betts at this point, and baseball analysts everywhere are saying the chances of, of a Mookie Betts trade not happening are very, very slim. So we will probably see him traded. That'd be utterly insane if he's still in Boston. The Red Sox just do an con- entire 180, but... Let's go to the other Dodgers trade where they're trying to give away Jack Peterson and Ross Stribling for the Angels infield prospect Luis Rangifo. And originally, I wasn't a big fan of this deal. I thought the Dodgers gave me up too much. What do you say, Henry? Yeah, on paper, it definitely looks like the Angels come out ahead in this one. Um, it looks like uh, Rangifo was the Angels' number 28 prospect in their season and their system rather that could mm-hmm. be 28th overall but what I'm, what I'm looking at here and it, it seems to indicate that Rengifo is the 28th ranked prospect in their systems so that's not a super blue chip high pedigree guy that's you know likely to go on and be a star for the Dodgers I you know I like Jock Peterson's game he's got a lot of power in that bat and, you know, like you said, too, the Angels need all the pitching they can get. Ross Stripling certainly been serviceable. He's kind of can fill that swing man role for you where he can do long relief or has the stamina to be a starter. I think that was a great deal for the Angels that the Dodgers likely were just making as a result of the Mookie trade, clear up a little bit of room in the outfield with Peterson, and then clearing up room uh, in their bullpen slash, I guess, starting rotation with David Price coming in as, as Ross Stripling. Uh, replacing him as a as a starter, so I I don't know. I think that the Dodgers are now saying that Jock Peterson that they're holding up the deal because Peterson was in the midst of his arbitration case. 
that kind of smells fishy to me. Like the Dodgers are just trying to hold everything until they're certain that Mookie Betts is, is going to be joining them. It definitely can't just be the arbitration case because if they were waiting for Peterson's case in the first place, why would they trade him in the midst of waiting for him? So it's, it's very, very strange. And the only way that the Dodgers are waiting is because of the Red Sox, so without a doubt. And just looking at this trade as a whole, the Dodgers are getting absolutely fleeced by the Angels. So the only reason that we can think of is they just want this infield prospect just to be a backup to pretty much Gavin Lux and TJ Hernandez because that's where he ranks in the pecking order and a salary dump of Peterson's $7.5 million contract, which really isn't that much. So it's weird how they're giving up two pretty respectable players, and especially with Peterson, too. Yeah, that's a great point, Adam. I hadn't hadn't mentioned the salary dump aspect of that, but even with the Red Sox agreeing to eat David or half of David Price's contract, the Dodgers are are looking to get rid of a little bit of money here in this deal. They still have Mookie money coming in. Mookie's making over twenty million this year, I know, in his arbitration deal, and then you still have over ten million or so for David Price, and that's even with the Red Sox eating the other half of that. So, you know, it makes sense from a salary dumping perspective, but certainly when you look at the talent on the paper there, the Angels coming out ahead. Yeah, again, very, very strange deal. Didn't look like a great deal for the Dodgers in the start. Maybe they can get a way of not trading him now, depending on what happens to Mookie, but everyone's really annoyed by this. Rob Manfred's annoyed. Head of the MLB Players Association, Tony Clark, is annoyed. Scott Boris is annoyed, of course. It's a whole mess, but let's talk about something kind of outlandish and kind of fun. And that is Pete Rose once again reinstating, trying to reinstate himself into Major League Baseball. Him and his team, him and his lawyers gave a 20-page reinstatement paper to Rob Manfred. I'm surprised it's not more, honestly. You see how long those Scott Boras 200-page reviews are. But nonetheless, it is very interesting to see what will happen and his lawyers even said there cannot be one set of rules for Mr. Rose and never for everyone else. No objective standard or categorization of the rules violations committed by Major League Baseball. Rose can distinguish his violations from those that have incurred substantially less severe penalties for Major League Baseball. Rose himself called betting on his team very disproportionate to the Astros scandal. Manfred, who shot down Rose's reinstatement attempt in 2015, says... He does not think there's a good chance because Rose has little confidence that he has mature understanding of his wrongful conduct. So just knowing, I threw a lot of information at you, Henry, just at the top of your dome, when you hear this information for, for first time or just first couple of times, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, Adam, that Pete Rose and his legal team just have a template reinstatement paper ready to go and they can just <laughs> tweak the details whenever the opportunity comes up. This isn't really super related to me. This is Pete Rose being opportunistic and thinking that, oh, now somebody else is in trouble. Maybe this is my chance to, to get reinstated. And let's be honest, Pete Rose is asking to be let into the Hall of Fame. And that's not the issue that's at hand here with the Astros. This isn't, you know, Verlander, Altuve, Bregman's ticket to Cooperstown, and that's essentially what it would be for Pete Rose. So I don't think that's an equal an equal argument that he's making. And I and otherwise, I don't really feel bad for Pete Rose. I think that Pete made his bed with the decisions that he made, and now he's got to live with it. That, you know, you can't 
bet on baseball games that you're that you're managing. It's just you know it's impacting the purity of the game, and I think it's it definitely has tainted his legacy permanently. And I, I don't see this going well for Pete. I, I understand that he's got to try, and you can't change the past. But I, I really don't think that he's shown very much remorse for his actions. And this, you know, comparing this to the Astro scandal just goes on to show that Pete Rose doesn't really feel like he did anything all that wrong. And who's to say? It is difficult to compare the sign-stealing scandal with the Astros to what Pete Rose did. I say it's apples to oranges, and cheating is cheating is cheating. So maybe Pete Rose has a point that, you know, while there was no player punishment for the Astros, that that's not exactly an equal response but I don't know. I, it's hard for me to feel too bad for Pete Rose. What about you, Adam? Pete Rose is almost like this annoying gnat that's just always in the distance. And it's very funny because as soon as Manfred got into power, became the commissioner of baseball, Rose is right there ready to try to get reinstated once again. I really like the comment you made, Henry. Rose is super opportunistic. He has not shown us what Manfred calls mature understanding of his run through wrongful conduct, or in your case, just remorse, same thing. So he doesn't really care about what he did. He just wants to get in the Hall of Fame. And the thing is, can you really blame him? He's a Hall of Fame type player. He betted on the game for his own team. And yes, obviously betting is terrible. Cheating is terrible. Steroids are terrible. The sign stealing is terrible. But it is pretty outlandish how he gets banned, now the players get banned because of a screw-up with Major League Baseball where they kind of almost had to cut a deal with the players. So it is definitely I definitely agree with what Rose is saying here and how the Astros have something far worse than him. I can see his case there, but it's beyond that. It's that Rose has not made his bed with cheating and that's probably what's keeping him out of the hall of fame and getting reinstated what do you think henry yeah i i don't know it just doesn't sit well with me what rose did you know even if you're only betting on your team that's still going to impact the way you manage any given game maybe you burn your pitchers your good pitchers on the night that you just so happen to bet on the team to where it's not really you know the pure game anymore it's it's, it's changing the way the game is being played which, granted, the Astros certainly did as well, too. So I, I get that argument that they're both cheating to me, that it's it's both wrong. But I, you know, I don't really feel that bad for Pete Rose. And I think that the question will get more context when it comes time for the Astros players involved to be voted or not voted into Cooperstown. I think that will really help us decide what is fair in this situation. Yeah, and that's a long way away. And that goes kind of to my next question is Pete Rose, he's getting up there in age. He'll probably hit the bucket in around 30 years or so at most. So I know that's a bit blunt, but could he maybe get in the Hall of Fame posthumously? Is, is this almost kind of like a punishment for him to just not get in the Hall of Fame while he's alive? And would we see any kind of change of heart if when he eventually dies sooner or later? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it is unfortunate how often we seem to appreciate people more after they passed away. And I think that I could definitely see Pete Rose's legacy kind of being viewed in a different light after he's gone. So he is the hit king, 4,000 plus hits. 
certainly a Hall of Fame worthy uh, statistic career, but you know those actions. It's it's it remains to be seen how future fans of the game, how future voters, writers, and league officials, which I guess the league officials are really the only ones that matter here in this case, see how those opinions change over time. You know, as we've seen the Hall of Fame, uh, the writers who vote for the Hall of Fame, their opinions shift over time with certain players. You see the steroid guys getting more and more percentage of the ballot each year. And that's apples to oranges too. But I think that that could be a good sign for Rose that there seems to be a shifting attitude towards a more inclusive Hall of Fame where we're more willing to let people in. And I think that could give uh, Rose a big boost later down the line, especially if it's, if it's the type of thing where he's passed away already. You could make the argument Pete Rose is serving a life sentence where he's not allowed in the Hall of Fame, but then you know, maybe that does change afterwards, uh, after his death. The writers and the baseball higher-ups certainly have a morality complex with how they deal with steroids and Rose and the Astros scandal. They, I mean, it's their job, and it's understandable. They're supposed to lay down the law. And it is really weird, though, because it's really Manfred and his team that are deciding Rose's fate. None of the players, none of the fans, not even the Baseball Writers Association themselves. But maybe after he passes, after this quote-unquote life sentence, maybe we'll see a change of heart from Manfred, or could we ever see kind of this joint decision, joint final decision from players, from the Baseball Writers Association, from Manfred, or is that way too hopeful? It's hard to say, you know, what the league structure will look like in decades from now, and maybe a new commissioner comes in and is feeling a little more empathetic to Rose's uh, situation. I, or sympathetic rather, I should say, empathy wouldn't work there unless he too had been banned from baseball for gambling. But uh, I would say that, you know, Rose does have a chance, uh, but I would say that that is more likely to come from Major League Baseball. It's not a democracy, and I don't really see that decision being opened up to baseball writers or, or fans as a whole. It's going to have to come from from the league itself if Rose is to be allowed in. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. We would like to see more of a democracy, more of a wide, overarching opinion, because no one really knows what the league officials think in those private meetings. They don't publicize at all. They kind of just keep themselves, which is unfortunate. But I would say this. If Rose somehow gets in the Hall of Fame someday, personally, I can go either way. We could see players from the 1919 Black Sox scandals, such as would-be Hall of Famers Joe Jackson, Eddie Chiquette. Hopefully I'm saying his last name right. But we would probably see those two in the Hall of Fame as well. What do you think? Yeah, I think at least for Shoeless Joe, that, and time is probably a huge part of this too, I think that he has a higher favorability uh, rating among baseball fans than Pete Rose does. And that probably, too, is largely just because uh, the cheating of, or sorry, the, the gambling of Pete Rose, his shortcomings are more fresh on people's minds. And there kind of is, there does seem to be this perception throughout baseball that Shoeless Joe didn't want to, to be a part of that Black Sox scandal. He kind of just got taken along for the ride by his teammates. So I, if, if Rose were somehow uh, led into the Hall of Fame, I think that certainly does open the, jo- open the door rather for the Black Sox to, to make their way in as well. Yeah, Shoeless Joe, it's undecided whether he was even really part of it. And 
I've mentioned before how the Black Sox players all had this kind of acquitted statement, acquitted document, and then they all somehow lost it, and that's kind of the end of that. Um, and that's coming from the source himself with Charles Fountain, who wrote this 1919 Black Sox book. So it would be very interesting to see if Shoeless Joe would get in, if Eddie Chicot would get in. But moving on to our last segment, so the Wilpons, the fr- who own the Mets, try to make a deal with this minority stakeholder named Stevie Cohen. And Mets fans were ecstatic because the Wilpons, who fell for the Birdie Madoff scandal ten, over 10 years ago and has kind of treated the Mets as a small market team. A lot of Mets fans have been unhappy with their ownership. They were ecstatic when Cohen was going to have majority stake over the team in five years, but the Wilpons being the Wilpons added some last minute changes to a deal. Cohen felt disrespected. He stopped. He is out of the deal. So it's a whole mess of things. What's your first thoughts about this, Henry? First thing that comes to mind for me is this is just the Mets doing Mets things. They <laughs> never fail to to do these embarrassing, uh, have these embarrassing moments, I should say, whether it be on the field or off the field. Uh, it's, it's a franchise that has certainly you know, made some mistakes uh, over the past couple decades really and I think that's largely due to poor ownership to to be blunt so I think that you know this is this is not obviously not a great look for the Mets you lose Carlos Beltran you lose the deal to sell the team they are not entering the season with a whole lot of positive PR momentum I'd say winning can go a long way in in alleviating some of those headaches and the Mets should have a pretty good product on the field. So I hopefully they can keep playing at a pretty high level. They weren't in the playoffs last season, but they were close uh, to getting that second wild card spot. So hopefully for them, they can just keep playing respectable baseball, stay close to the playoffs, if not making it in, help boost uh, the value of the team going forward for whoever the new owners end up being. Wilpons have definitely had their fair share of poor PR moments and I want to take your remark about how winning could definitely kind of ease off this negative press on the Wilpons and take it one step further by saying that this could be maybe the most productive decade for the Mets. You could argue that the 80s were very good. The maybe 65 to 75 was great, but the Mets never made the playoffs three times in a row or it may have been like, or like two out of three years in a row or three out of four years, some some kind of like statistic like that. They made the playoffs a good deal, at least in the late 2010s, and they made a World Series too, didn't win it, but they at least made it to the World Series. So even though the Wilpons have not been the best owners in terms of PR stunts, they have at least had decent Mets teams here. And I think a lot of Mets fans some kind of resent them because they put the team on paper, but they never got the ring or more deeper postseason runs to show for it. Yeah, that, that, it is almost even more frustrating to be that close and not come away with any titles. Uh, you know, 2015, they make the World Series with Daniel Murphy going absolutely insane in the NLCS, and then they fall short, end up losing to the Royals. It was the Royals in 2015, right, Adam? Yep. Well, yeah, that's just, you know, it, it's frustrating to get that close, and they have had respectable teams on the field. You got... 
great pitchers and Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard, uh, two-time uh, reigning Cy Young, uh, back-to-back season for DeGrom. Uh, and you got Pete Alonso coming up and taking over New York, hitting 50-something home runs last year in his Rookie of the Year campaign. Jeff McNeil, another great hitter. They And Michael Conforto in the outfield, J.D. Davis. The Mets have pieces. I wouldn't be surprised if they're contending for a wild card. Uh, I don't want to take too much away from our upcoming division previews. But I think that they have the potential to put together a couple winning seasons. You know, maybe you even go on and win the big one, win the World Series, and then I think the, the opinion on the Wilpons would change quite a bit. That does actually really lead into the Mets question. And you mentioned all those great pieces for the Mets. So perhaps the only way the Wilpons can ever redeem themselves is if they can win a chip under their tenure or they sell their ownership fairly soon and the Mets win shortly afterwards. But is winning really the only way the Wilpons can redeem themselves at this point? I'd say pretty much. I think that's mostly what the fans care about. That's what you go and see them for. That's what you root for the team for, hoping that they can ultimately get that World Series. Uh, I think one way that – another way, I guess, that they could redeem themselves would be just leaving the team in more competent hands, find an ownership team that is, is going to be a little more willing to invest. Not to say that the Wilpons have been cheap or anything. They, you know, they've put a good product out on the field, at least here in the last couple of years. But they haven't been – they haven't made those huge free agency splashes that maybe could have taken the team to the next level. Um, so, you know, maybe you, you leave the team in the hands of owners that are a little more willing to spend, a little more willing to make those big Mookie Betts type trades that can, that can set you up to be World Series contenders. So I think they, they've just got to look, it's a big decision and, and Cohen looked like he would have been a great owner to take over for the team. So hopefully they can find another sort of splash partner to, to sell the team off to. Cohen was definitely a setback, but if they can find new ownership, more very proactive ownership soon, that can definitely change the opinion of the Mets to maybe a lot of Mets fans and just the league in general. But nonetheless, that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you all for listening to me and my co-worker, Henry Winklehead. I hope you all have a wonderful Sunday, and this is the Exit Viewer Podcast.